Welcome to Wellness Realness with Christina Rice. I'm your host, Christina. I'm a holistic health coach and the creator of ChristinaRiceWellness.com, where you can find my blog, services, programs, and current ebooks. You can also find me on my other podcast, Straight Up Paleo. In this podcast, I'll be discussing all things related to health and wellness, and I promise to always keep it very real. If you'd like to submit a question or topic for me to discuss, send it in to podcast at christinaricewellness.com. Don't forget to subscribe, leave a rating and a review on iTunes, and most importantly, enjoy the show. Hello, hello. Welcome back to the show. Did you miss me? I am recording this earlier than I usually do because I'm going to be traveling and when this episode comes out, I believe I'll be on a plane coming home, well not going, not coming home, coming, leaving Austin, let's put it that way, leaving Austin, leaving Paleo FX, going to South Carolina to visit my friend Kelly and that's what I'm doing, so needed to record this before I go on all of my travel adventures and I hope you're following along if you're not already so there's that also excited because I'm pretty sure that at Paleo FX I will have met in person today's guest Ben Greenfield who we will get to in a moment if I mean he it's a hard person to introduce because he really needs no introduction. If you're in the health world and you haven't heard of Ben Greenfield's, I mean, I don't know what to tell you. It's kind of hard not to know who he is. But, I mean, he's known as a biohacker, although he kind of refutes that title a bit at the beginning of this. So we'll get into that. But he's a self-experimenter and one of the smartest humans on the planet, I swear. Something I forgot to ask him when I was talking to him as if he's tried Somnifix. I feel like this would be something he'd be so into because mouth taping is just such an easy life hack to optimize everything. So if you don't know what Somnifix is, it's mouth tape that is specially designed to be hypoallergenic and has a little breathable vent in the front. So you put this tape on your mouth before you go to sleep and then You sleep with your mouth closed so that you breathe through your nose because nose breathing is optimal for so many different reasons. When we breathe through our noses, this keeps us in the parasympathetic rest and digest state and can help you sleep through the night, reduces snoring, can also just help you get a really great night's sleep so that you get into that really deep state of REM and in the the next day you wake up feeling rested. It can improve memory and focus, concentration. It can improve athletic performance. So we don't realize how much our breath, how much of our our breathing patterns really affect our overall health and wellness. It also has a huge impact on our immunity. So if you have any sleep problems at all, if you find you can't sleep through the night, if you snore, if you drool, any of those things, if you just wake up and you don't feel very rested, if you never remember your dreams, if you feel like you're not getting into that deep state of REM, try out Somnifix. Everyone who I've gone to try it loves it. It takes some adjustment, you know, give yourself 
a few days, maybe a few weeks to, for your body to get used to having tape on your mouth, don't be nervous. There is a breathing vent in front. So you can put it on and breathe a little bit. You can part your lips and breathe and you'll be fine. You won't suffocate. So all good there. Use the code CRWSLEEP for 15% off. That's the highest discount I know of. So you can get 15% off of your Somnifix. You can go to somnifix.com or amazon.com and get it there. Amazon Prime, have better sleep in two days. It'll be amazing. So definitely check that out. And I am bringing quite a few boxes of that on my trip just in case something happens because I need this stuff to make sure I get the best quality sleep, especially when I'm traveling. It is a game changer for me. And I mean, if I don't have it, I will not sleep well at all. And if I have it, it's like a magical sleep hack. So I'm going to have that. The other thing I'm going to have with me are some bands because I'm going to be doing the Maps Anywhere program while I'm traveling. And I actually found the Mind Pump Media Guys through Ben Greenfield's podcast. Fun story. That's the first time I ever heard Adam, Sal, and Justin. They were on Ben's podcast. And I listened to the episode and at first I was like, eh, I don't know how I feel about these bros. And then I quickly fell in love with them. And then you know, started listening to their podcast and then the rest is history and now we're best friends. So that's how I found the guys from Mind Put Media. And if you are looking for some really great fitness guides, definitely check out the guides from Mind Pump. You can go to www.mindpumpmedia.com slash Christina Rice Wellness and check out all of their guides. If you're just looking for a great strength training program, I really recommend Maps Anabolic. If you're looking for something that can be done from anywhere, from at home, that doesn't require gym equipment, check out Maps Anywhere, and then they have a bunch of other fitness guides as well. Performance, if you're an athlete, they have aesthetic, if you're, you know, looking to build that physique for maybe bodybuilding or something like that, they have Maps Hit, if you're looking for some HIT training, so just depends on what your goals are, but I trust their programming. There are so many bad fitness programs out there, and I really, really believe in their programs and their philosophy, and they have some great testimonials on their site as well, and you can also get the bands, like if you're doing maps anywhere, if you want bands for other programs too, um, they they sell bands on their website, um, so I ordered some from there, so I have those. Again, go to www.mindpumpmedia.com slash Christina Rice Wellness and pick those up. And they also have some fun videos with Ben on their YouTube channel they just posted. Now that I'm thinking about it, you could watch those. So check all of that out. But back to today's guest, Ben Greenfield. He is awesome and very interesting, very interesting and very smart. So my first experiences in the podcast world, basically the first year that I found out about podcasting, I only listened to Balanced Bites podcast and Ben Greenfield podcast. Those are the only two that I listened to. I didn't even know how to find any other podcasts. So... He was, like, one of my first podcasts I ever listened to. So he has a ton, a ton of content. Pretty crazy. He has a really interesting history. And if I ever get it back on my podcast, I want to 
interrogate him more about his history, but he also has a, his own podcast episodes about more of his background. I mean, he started college when he was 16 and he graduated when he was 20. And he was also getting a 4.0 and doing a bunch of sports and also at the same time acting as a personal trainer, a nutritionist, a lab assistant, um, you know, so many different things. And then he graduated, gets into six different medical schools, and then he decides that instead he wanted to get a master's in exercise physiology and biomechanics. And then basically built an empire from there. So he's one of the top triathletes in the world. If you follow him, you know he has very interesting and exciting and intense exercise routine. He competes in Spartans. He's all over the place and knows what he's talking about when it comes to exercise and fitness. And he also just does all of these different experiments on himself all the time to figure out ways to improve his health, longevity, performance. He is a New York Times bestseller. He has written 13 different books. He has an amazing blog. You can find everything at bengreenfieldfitness.com. And he's also the founder and CEO of Keon, where they sell supplements, fitness gear. He does coaching and consulting just so many different things, and I'm sure I'm forgetting a lot of things as well. So he kind of does everything and just has so much knowledge. It's insane and tries so many interesting things. So I have to be honest, I have some regrets about this, about this because I asked him everything that you guys asked me to ask him, and don't get me wrong, I'm I want to ask everything you want to know because I love you guys and I want to make you happy, but I do have regrets because honestly, I kind of wished I had just asked my own questions because most of his answers, I already knew what he was going to say because I've read everything he writes and listened to most of his podcasts. So I already like knew what he was going to say in response, but I just wanted to have all this information in one place for you guys and I wanted to ask the questions that you said you wanted to hear the answers to, but I do kind of regret it because when you only get, you know, 50 minutes with Ben Greenfield, I should have just asked what I wanted to know, things that I haven't heard him talk about before. So if I can ever get him back on, I would definitely, sorry, love you, but not ask what you want to know and just ask what I wanted to know instead. So that is just the one thing. Regardless, he gives so much great information and if you're not familiar with him or like, if you're not like me and you don't read everything he writes and listen to all of his podcasts, I'm sure you will learn so, some great nuggets of information from him. So I hope that this is really helpful for you guys and you guys enjoy it. He is really funny and has a very dry sense of humor, which I enjoy. And I'm just really grateful that he, you know, took the time to let me ask him questions. He had just gotten back from he was in Hawaii and he had like flown back the night before and got, he said he got in at 2 a.m. and then he was recording with me at 10 a.m. So, I mean, thanks for squeezing that in. I probably would have dipped out of an interview <laughs> if I had gotten in 2 a.m. the night before. And he told me he went hunting and got 200 pounds of meat. So, yum. Delicious. All right. 
that's um, all I have to say. And I think that you guys are going to like this. Can't wait to hear your feedback. And without further ado, here is the one, the only Ben Greenfield. Thank you again so much for coming on the show. I'm so excited to chat with you. Um, I have been a huge fan of your podcast for a long time. You're actually one of the first podcasts I ever listened to. Um, but for people who maybe aren't familiar with you, can you give a brief introduction for yourself? What do you want to know? I want to know how do you describe your job to people? When people say, what do you do? What do you say? That depends if they're just like some, uh, you know, 70 year old man sitting next to me on an airplane. I tell them I'm an author because that's generally what people understand. If you say author, mm-hmm. uh, otherwise, you know, I'm, I am a human performance coach and consultant. I help people get the most out of their bodies and their brains when it comes to everything from like cognitive performance to digestion, fat loss, hormone balance, um, physical performance, sleep, you know, things along those lines. Um, my master's degree is in exercise physiology and biomechanics, and I've spent the past couple of decades racing as a professional athlete in sports like triathlon and obstacle course racing. Uh, and also, uh, you know, doing a lot in like the nutrition sector and the exercise sector when it comes to studying, speaking, teaching, and writing. Um, I'm a, I'm a New York Times bestselling author, uh, primarily on the topics of health and wellness, fitness. And, um, you know, I spend most of my, most of my time writing and I travel around the world and I speak at different conferences on health and I blog and write articles uh, over at bengreenfieldfitness.com. I podcast and do video, you know, a lot of new media type of things. Uh, And then I also, um, you know, I play some music, write some fiction, have a little off grid home out here in Washington state where we raise goats and chickens and have a, a big garden and that's where uh, myself and my wife and my my twin boys reside. Yeah, you have a lot going on. What what first do you remember like the moment when you just felt like I need to get into biohacking? Like have you always been like this? There was never a moment when I thought I need to get into biohacking because I think our perception of biohacking is silly. <laughs> True biohacking is honestly based on this concept that the human body is hardware and, or I'm sorry, wetware and what we place in is hardware. So people who are implanting magnets in their fingers via surgical intervention to be able to better interact with their devices, like the movie minority report or people who are implanting chips in their brains to be able to telepathically communicate with other human beings, people who are injecting their eyeballs with chlorophyll to enhance night vision. Those are true biohackers, right? Putting, Mm -hmm. putting like, uh, uh, butter in your coffee and pressing blend that's cooking (laughs) or, you know, um, (laughs) say, uh, you know, going, going to the gym and having some kind of like piece of electronic equipment you're wearing on your head before you go to the gym to help you work out better, that's just basically warming up for your workout. That's not, you know, it's not really biohacking. So I never, ever, you know, woke up one morning. I was like, Hey, I'm going to be a biohacker. (laughs) All I do is I just find cool things that make your body or your brain or your life better, whether it be, you know, 
planting fresh rosemary outside that I can, you know, smear on a steak or, or make into a tea or whether it be, you know, using one of these fancy devices that are, you know, often advertised as biohacks, but, but like I mentioned, I'd consider to just be better living through science. Um, you know, and it, it, it's kind of interesting because in my life as an author, and a blogger and a podcaster, a lot of times, you know, companies who make things like, you know, little devices that enhance your cognitive performance or, you know, lights that you can use to keep you from staying awake at night um, or, uh, you know, special recipes or smoothies or mushroom extracts or whatever. They just kind of send them to me, you know, to, to try them because I've kind of got this shtick now as a almost like an immersive journalist. And so, uh, so, so, yeah, I mean, for, for me, it's more a matter of just kind of my, uh, my, I shouldn't say popularity, but my visibility as an author and a blogger has led to me inevitably being put in front of a lot of new things to try. And that's kind of led me down the road of, of being identified as one of these biohackers, so to speak. Mm -hmm. But you don't, you don't like to go by that, that name. I don't really care. I'm agnostic. <laughs> I just think it's a silly name. Okay, gotcha. Silly, silly title and often like a silly overused word in my opinion. I see. Okay, well, I want to start um, talking about some of the different things you've tried to enhance your life and performance and cognition and all of the things. Is there anything that stands out for you as a popular trend nowadays that you just think is total bullshit? <laughs> sure. Uh, let's say for example, the ketogenic diet. Oh, I'm so glad you said that. Okay. Ketogenic diet bandwagon. I'm keto. I'm targeted (laughs) keto. I'm cyclic keto. I'm morning keto. I'm sometimes keto. (laughs) I'm fruit keto. Like it's just silly. You know, people get on these diet bandwagons and keto, the ketogenic diet, you know, it's a therapeutic intervention originally designed to help people who had like epilepsy or seizures manage uh, their symptoms better by reducing carbohydrate intake and by reducing the amount of glucose that wound up in the brain and by instead in making things like um, ketones from a higher fat, lower carbohydrate diet available to neural tissue. And it turns out that it's applicable for a therapeutic application for things like head injuries or you know, concussions or even like issues with uh, deep sea divers who get, you know, the bends or, you know, compression issues, things like that. Um, the problem is that it's it's been hailed as like the salvation for everything from fat loss to physical performance to cognitive enhancement to a host of other issues that it's that it's claimed to help with, you know, including and, and I will admit that it can be useful for this, like Alzheimer's and dementia. But the fact is, you have to eat the diet that's right for you. There's really not a lot of evidence that a high-carb, low-fat diet is any better than a high-fat, low-carb diet or vice versa when you look at the general population who are A, eating a healthy diet and B, not eating too many calories. Right? Once you're eating a healthy diet comprised of real food and you're not overeating calories, it turns out that what, what's more important are the big picture items. More than like I'm high fat, low carb, I'm high carb, low fat. It's things like I I fast and I don't stuff my face all the time. I have periods of time where I just go without eating, right? That's a variable that seems to make any diet very successful uh, when it comes to everything from longevity to weight loss. 
Another example would be I eat foods that are very nutrient-dense, meaning that you might choose a quinoa versus a white rice or an amaranth or a millet versus a you know a, a white bread. You know you're, you're choosing dense sources of fuel rather than you know calorie rich, nutrient poor sources of fuel. That's another prevailing characteristics that we see. You know whether you're a high carb, low fat, or high fat, low carb person. Another example. Uh, would be blood sugar fluctuation, what, what's referred to in science as glycemic variability, right? Like how much does your blood sugar go up and down during the day? And it, it turns out that, you know, if, if you're on, you know, a lot of people will say, well, that means you couldn't ever be on a high-carb diet. No, that's not the case, right? We see a lot of hunter-gatherer populations eating taro and, you know, and, and plantain and carrot and parsnip and beets and raw honey and, and all manner of different carbohydrate sources as 70 to 80 percent of their diet right which would, which would shock a ketogenic diet or they'd be like oh you're gonna you're gonna drop dead and be in your grave tomorrow <laughs> for eating but the fact is they're active they're walking they're hunting they're gathering they're gardening they're moving and for someone who has an active lifestyle just the simple act of moving allows your body to process those carbohydrates pretty efficiently and keep them from causing frequent spikes in the blood sugar, you know, versus someone sitting at their desk eating Snickers bar and drinking Gatorade, which would be an example of a, you know, higher carb intake, nutrient poor intake, large fluctuations in glycemic variability, not a lot of fasting between meals, you know, but you could also say the same thing for someone, you know, sitting at their desk, uh, you know, sucking down a cup of coffee full of butter and coconut oil and then, you know, eating a bunch of keto cupcakes for lunch, right? Mm-hmm. So it, it's it's very interesting. I think this whole ketogenic diet type of thing, you know, everybody thinks it's it's the latest sexy new thing. And I might be guilty of that just because I I personally, you know, have used that that kind of approach, that higher fat, lower carb approach to do things like enhance my my physical performance, particularly for endurance or to you know, stave off appetite. But I also have found that I, you know, I've tested myself, but not every diet works perfectly for everyone. And I've tested like my blood glucose levels and I've tested my own glycemic variability and my own gut comfort. And it turns out that that approach, you know, of of some amount of carbohydrate restriction works pretty well for me. But then I don't then turn around and say, hey, everybody, keto diet is sent from God. And this diet is the perfect diet for the entire planet. And, you know, you're you're a sinner if you eat a banana for lunch, right? Yeah. That's that's not the case. And I think that diet diets in general are silly, but I think that this whole ketogenic diet thing is just kind of way out of control in terms of people just thinking like it's the bee's knees when in <laughs> fact it's not. It's more major dietary principles that are key. And then if the ketogenic diet works for you and you might be one of those people who it does work for, great. Uh, but if not, don't feel guilty like you know, just eat a, a nutrient dense diet, restrict the amount of blood glucose fluctuation that's occurring in whatever diet that you're eating and engage in some amount of fasting or intermittent fasting. And if you kind of nail those variables, you know, you're, you're going to be a lot better than just like sticking to some diet that might have worked for your neighbor, but isn't going to work for you. What, what differences did you notice for yourself when you were trying out keto like in terms of performance or your body composition or um, cognitive performance anything well I originally 
began to eat a higher fat, lower carb intake while training for Ironman because ketones, which are generated when you burn a lot of fats as a fuel or when you restrict carbohydrates or you fast, they are a preferred source of fuel for the liver and the diaphragm and the heart and some of these organs that would be considered organs that assist with endurance performance. And in addition, uh, it seems to me, and I've found this during like longer workouts that uh, having high levels of ketones seems to assist with focus, like with mental focus, which helps out quite a bit when you're riding a freaking bicycle for five hours or running a marathon. So that's how I originally you know, began to, to utilize that type of dietary approach of carbohydrate restriction and high amount of, of ketone production and even you know intake of a lot of these ketone-containing supplements was to assist with endurance performance. Uh, and, and that's where I've, I've found it to be useful. I've found it to be useful for... Uh, restricting carbohydrate cravings after you've you know followed a diet like that for you know, about six months to two years, you start to really get less carbohydrate cravings. You start to become more efficient at using fat as a fuel, at burning your own fat as a fuel, at going for long periods of time without eating. Like there are definitely some benefits that that arise from it. Um, but you could do the same thing with a you know, a diet comprised of raw honey and sweet potato and quinoa and amaranth and millet and fruit. And, uh, you know, you, you, you can still, if you're doing things like fasting and some amount of calorie restriction, still generate ketones on a diet like that. And I'll often eat a diet, you know, I just got back from hunting in Kona and I probably had the equivalent of about three pieces of fruit per day compared to the approximate, maybe one piece of fruit every few days I might have when I'm back home. And I had a lot of carbohydrates, you know, I had a lot of poi, which is like a like a purple sweet potato kind of mush. I ate a lot of taro. Uh, I ate a lot of uh, a lot of uh, fruits, like I mentioned, a lot of mm-hmm. fruits. And the the fact is, when you are uh, exposed to sunlight and you have a lot of vitamin D production, and you're in a warmer climate, your uh, ability to be able to be insulin sensitive and your ability to be able to process fructose better. And processed sugar better goes up. So I'll sometimes eat differently depending on where I'm at in the world, right? And so mm-hmm. when you combine that with the fact that I love to delve into whatever the local population tends to eat anyways, it lends itself quite well to being really like really open to dietary flexibility, especially when I travel. So I do eat a lot more carbohydrates and a lot more fruit when I'm in sunny climates, for example. And that's important that when you're looking at your diet, especially if you travel a lot like I do, you don't, you know, adhere to such a restrictive diet that you're not able to enjoy the local culture or even change up your diet based on the season, right? This mm-hmm. is another idea of seasonal variability, right? You might eat a ketogenic diet in the winter when it really is, uh, you know, there's fewer vegetables, there's fewer fruit, there's fewer starches, and you've just got like fats and meat and preserved foods and stuff like that. Whereas in the summer, you know, when everything's growing and there's lots of fruits and you're out in the sunshine, you might shift to a higher and maybe you're more active too, right? You might shift to a higher carbohydrate intake, higher fruit intake, that type of thing. So it can change seasonally and it can change when you travel. Let's say someone feels, they, you know, they say they feel really great on keto. Are there any negative long-term effects? Like what if somebody just is like, I'm going to stay keto forever and never cycle in and out? Um, what would you say? <laughs> No, no. What's the question exactly? Like, are there any negative long-term effects of staying in ketosis for just a really long time and never cycling in and out? Depends. Like, if you're really, really active and you're burning a lot of carbohydrates and your body needs a 
a little bit more carbohydrate intake for, you know, let's say a high amount of weightlifting or high amount of heavy training or something like that. Sure. You can get to the point where you're sending your body the signal that uh, there's not enough carbohydrates to convert inactive thyroid hormone to active thyroid hormone or to comprise like the, the, the glycoproteins in your joints to assist with joint health. And you start to get joint pains and your metabolism starts to go down a little bit. A lot of times, and this happens more often in women than in men, you see a downregulation of some of the enzymes or the hormones rather responsible for maintaining normal fertility because frankly, most human bodies from an evolutionary standpoint are hardwired to downregulate fertility and to not want to make babies when you're starved and you're running from a lion because yeah. you wouldn't <laughs> want to introduce children into a scenario like that. So yeah, there's, there's some definite scenarios, especially in very active people. Um, more often females and males and, uh, um, you know, and, and like I mentioned people who may not even be from an ancestral standpoint, hardwired to be able to digest fats efficiently, right? There are, mm -hmm. there are some people who are, who have a high amount of saturated fat sensitivity who produce a lot of inflammation. It's called a PPAR gene issue in response to high fat intake. There are some people with what's called familial hypercholesteremia, who produce a lot of uh, what's called LP little a, a cardiovascular risk marker in response to a high fat diet. And again, this, this comes all the way back to dietary individuality and people who may not be hardwired from an ancestral or genetic standpoint to really do well with a high fat diet, um, doing poorly on, you know, if they shift to like ketosis or something like that. So yeah, there's a great deal of individuality and there's a great deal of modifications that need to be made if you're a very active person uh, and even more so if you're a very active female. Yeah, I think that the problem is that everybody's just looking for someone to give them a set of rules, you know, just to follow instead of figuring out what works best for them individually, which is why something like keto is so enticing to so many people. And I know people are listening to this right now and they're freaking out and they're saying, okay, well then how do I figure out what macronutrient ratio, for instance, works best for me. So how do you suggest people go about starting to figure that out for themselves? Like what markers, what should they be paying attention to? Yeah, I have a pretty comprehensive article on how to do this over at bengreenfieldfitness.com called, I think it's just called How to Customize Your Diet to You. Mm -hmm. It's called F, F Diets, How to Customize your diet to you, something like that. Subtle. And in that, I outline, yeah, I outline <laughs> how you can do like, uh, you can do a 23andMe, which mm -hmm. is a genetic analysis, which is like a saliva uh, test, and you just drip saliva into a tube, into a tube. I, I found that if you sniff peanut butter, it helps you drip the saliva into the tube a little <laughs> better. Just nice salivate for peanut butter, uh, and that test will show you where your ancestors came from so that you could maybe look into the diet that they ate and try and emulate that diet a little bit more. You know, whether you're a higher carb, like Southern Eastern Asian or Sub-Saharan African, or maybe you're higher fat, you know, Northern European descent, you can then also export that data to a company like DNA fit, for example, and they'll run a nutrition report that lets you know like your saturated fat sensitivity, like I mentioned earlier, or which antioxidants that you might not naturally make yourself that you might need to actually supplement with to how likely carbohydrates are to spike your blood sugar, things like that. Right? So genetic test is really important. I'm a fan of this. This would be more for the realm of like supplements, um, a blood test, like a really good comprehensive blood test. that will tell you 
you know, do you need to be taking vitamin D or is your vitamin D so high that taking vitamin D like your neighbor is taking might cause arterial calcification for you because you already have a ton of vitamin D and taking more is just going to push you into toxicity range. Or, you know, are your red blood cell magnesium levels low or are they high? Or, you know, should you be on thyroid or should you not? Like, you know, blood tests can tell you a lot, especially when it comes to supplement uh, selection. And then I also really like to encourage people to do a stool test to look at bacteria, yeast, fungus. Um, you can you can get some idea of food intolerances and food sensitivities when you look at a, at a gut panel. There's one called Viome that's like a complete microbiome analysis. There's also a three-day kit made by a company called Gendova where you literally just like poop into the equivalent of a hot dog tray, you know, in the <laughs> morning each morning. And you, you uh, put that into their prepaid FedEx labels and ship it off. You know, you got to keep it refrigerated. So for three days, you might have little bags of your poop in the refrigerator next to your kale and your, your milk. And yeah. uh, then you ship that off. <laughs> And you hope that your friends don't come over and open the refrigerator. And then, um, I had that the, problem in college. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All that poop in the fridge. <laughs> yeah. And then, um, the, uh, the other tests, let's see, there's blood, there's saliva. Oh, the other test I was going to recommend would be like a really, really good food allergy panel. There's a company called Cyrex that does a pretty accurate one. And that would allow you to see, okay, you know, am I allergic to eggs? Am I allergic to, to certain forms of meat. And it's a pretty accurate test. It doesn't give you a whole bunch of false positives, but instead it's, it's pretty accurate. So, um, so yeah, testing is really important. And then of course, taking into account your physical activity levels. And that means that perhaps you, because you're an Ironman triathlete or a marathoner, or you're doing a CrossFit wad every other day, you might do, let's say a high fat, low carb diet because you found based on some of the testing and some of the ideas I just laid out that, that works pretty well for you. But then you might eat more carbohydrates, for example, right after that workout to refill your your liver and your muscle carbohydrate stores for the next day's workout and to ensure that you get carbohydrates in, but you get them in right after you've worked out or, you know, within a few hours after you've worked out. So you're kind of hitting that area of time when you're more insulin sensitive and where that glucose isn't going to get spiked quite as much. So, you know, de definitely taking into consideration your activity levels, your genetics, your blood markers, your, uh, your, uh, your gut, and then your food allergies would be a, a few places to start to begin to customize your diet to what would actually work well for you. And, you know, there's a really good book called Wired to Eat by Rob Wolf that goes into like studies they did over in Israel that showed that some people have a very pronounced blood glucose response to a cookie mm -hmm. or a banana. Some people don't at all. And interestingly, a big part of that was based on the prevalence of certain bacteria in the digestive tract. And this is very interesting because uh, what happens is when you eat, let's say you eat a junk diet or you eat a high sugar diet, you actually produce a lot of bacteria in your gut that begin to grow quite prevalent in response to that intake and grow used to that intake you you develop a biome that, that like kind of does well with that that type of diet and then once you shift to let's say carbohydrate restriction or calorie restriction or less sugar or something like that um those bacteria really they they don't go away they they stay in your gut they're kind of ready to to give you carbohydrate cravings and to 
take high energy foods and cause your body to store those more readily. And interestingly, one of the best ways to reset that microbiome and to, if you shift to like fasting and lower calorie intake and maybe some amount of carbohydrate restriction where it makes sense, uh, you would introduce a lot of polyphenols and flavanols into your diet at the same time. Things like rosemary and grapefruit extract and Ceylon cinnamon and a lot of like kind of like um, things you would consider to be very antioxidant rich, blueberry extracts, um, high antioxidant foods, you know, like a lot of your dark leafy greens and a lot of herbs, right? Like ginger and turmeric and curcumin and garlic. And what this does is it, it resets your microbiome profile to, uh, to be a profile that is not quite an energy storage carbohydrate craving profile, but more of kind of like a clean burning energy profile. So it's really interesting how the microbiome plays into this. And more importantly, how using a lot of herbs and spices and things we, we would consider to be like, um, you know, bitters and digestifs and polyphenols and flavanols and adding all those into a diet really, really seems to help to push the reboot button on the microbiome and assist even more with, with being able to shift your diet or being able to handle things like intermittent fasting or calorie restriction or, you know, a sane amount of carbohydrate restriction. And so I think that's just interesting that you can, you know, how, how important your gut bacteria play a role in this considering they're, they're kind of like foreigners living in your gut anyways. And mm -hmm. so, uh, yeah, that's, that's another important thing to, to consider anytime you're making dietary adjustments is, you know, are you equipping your microbiome to kind of do well with those adjustments? Yeah. And also like taking into account how things change over time. Like when you're saying like Cyrex, for example, like those arrays are intolerances, not true allergies necessarily. So those intolerances will shift. Um, right. Mm. So yeah, seeing yeah, how things exactly. Change. So that would be an issue of let's say you have leaky gut, and that means that you have some intestinal wall issues that where mm -hmm. some of the some of the the um that some of the lining of the gut is damaged. And so when you eat a food like let's say egg, you could get a lot of undigested proteins or a lot of albumin winding up in the bloodstream, and your body mounts an immune reaction to those proteins that aren't supposed to be floating around in the bloodstream. But it's not an issue with you being allergic to eggs for your entire life, it's more of an issue of you having a leaky gut that creates a food intolerance to eggs. And so that would be an issue where you would restrict eggs for maybe like four weeks and at the same time do a lot of glutamine, a lot of bone broth, a lot of colostrum, mm -hmm. a lot of, you know, there's a, there's a supplement called lignite that's more of like a, a probiotic, you know, soil-based probiotic, uh, all these things that help to heal the gut. And to kind of like close up that leaky gut lining and then you can return to eating that food that you might love or that protein that you might need to restrict for a short period of time. Yeah. And then also I just want to go back to the genetic testing for a second because I did want to ask you about that. So I know – so you recommend DNA fit for the analysis. Um, is that your top? You know, that, that one's cool because you don't have to like hire a consultant uh -huh. to walk you through all the results because it's – pretty easy like you get a pdf on the exercise that would be best for you and the nutrition that would approximately be best for you and it's easy to understand but there are some that take a really deep dive into like alcohol tolerance and which antioxidants you should or should not take and you know like, like some pretty advanced stuff like i like one called stratagene mm -hmm. s-t-r-a-t-a-gene i interviewed the guy that created that dr ben lynch 
on my yeah. podcast and you're able to identify the dirty genes. Like for example, if I'm going to have more than one drink now, based on those genetic results, I take molybdenum, I take a supplement called SAMI and I take something called homocystex and all of those help my body to create some of the specific antioxidants that I'm not able to create that help me to process the acetaldehyde that's created from me consuming more than one drink. So that's like my party stack, right? Mm -hmm. And that's something that I know based on my genetic results. So you can mm -hmm. find out all sorts of interesting things from the strategene. There's also, there's a really cool website called 23andU at 23andU.com. Yeah. And 23andU gives you a whole bunch of different websites that you can export your 23andMe data to and uh, know everything from you know genetic predisposition to certain diseases that 23andMe is kind of restricted from giving you based on their FDA restrictions on releasing certain amounts of health data um, to uh, d different uh, d different genetic analyses that can tell you some of the things that I just got into, like, you know, what you may or may not be able to handle from an alcohol standpoint or caffeine standpoint or freaking whether you're going to go bald when you're 60 <laughs> or not. I mean, the, the, the host of information you can get is pretty dizzying yeah. for a lot of stuff. Speaking of genetic mutations, you know, like a really popular one is the MTHFR mutation. Um, do you have any tips for people who have that? Yeah, the MTHFR mutation is just related to your ability to be able to uh, to process folate efficiently. So you normally have something called the, the methyl tetrahydrofolate uh, gene, and that would convert the folate that you consume into methylfolate, which is like the active form of folate. And if you have a copy of that gene that is basically a gene mutation, which is honestly kind of prevalent among a lot of people. Uh, what happens is when you eat foods that contain a lot of folic acid or consume supplements that contain a lot of folic acid, your body can have a hard time converting that into folate's active form and can instead convert it into homocysteine, which can be kind of damaging long-term as it builds up. And there are a variety of fixes for, for an MTHFR gene mutation you know, but ultimately, you know, one of the things I really encourage people to do in that scenario is you're really, really careful with anything that has a bunch of folic acid added to it, including most multivitamins out there. And you instead look for natural forms like what's what's called MTHF, methyl tetrahydrofolate, rather than folic acid on the, you know, on on the the multivitamin or something that might be enriched with a with a B vitamin. Um, sometimes when the body has the impaired ability to be able to use certain nutrients, it's really important to focus on gut health. So, you know, taking into consideration some of those leaky gut issues that I talked about, eating a wide variety of fermented foods, um, being careful with things that would support candida, which can make MTHFR symptoms worse, like high amounts of alcohol or high amounts of sugar, a lot of yeast containing foods, a lot of like moldy foods like cheeses and stuff that that's a pretty good idea. Um, and, uh, then taking a lot of leafy greens cause dark leafy greens contain the methylated form of folate. So if you have that gene defect, you need more of that methylated form of folate. So working in a lot of dark leafy greens is pretty good. And there's certain things that can deplete folate and you're going to need it more if you have an MTHFR issue. Uh, for example, uh, the pill like hormonal contraceptives, those mm -hmm. are, those are a big issue with, uh, with folate 
metabolism. Um, then there's medicines like antacids that can affect with your vitamin B absorption. Those, you know, Prilosec, things like that. Those you'd also be careful with. And then one of the biggest issues I think for methylation that really flies under the radar is uh, heavy metals. You know, if you have a high levels of mercury or lead or or you know any any of these common heavy metals that you tend to see build up from freaking Chinese toys <laughs> to you know gas station receipts. Like you'd want to be pretty careful with that stuff too, and maybe even consider some kind of a metal detoxification protocol. Yeah. So For, you know, those are some biggies with regards to that. What sorts of things would one would you suggest one do for a heavy metal detox protocol? For a heavy metal detox protocol, you kind of have two options. Um, one is there's this guy named Dr. Dan Pompa. I really like him. He has a program called True Cellular Detox, and I interviewed him on my podcast. Um, and you could go listen to that interview because that's a pretty intensive, like three month protocol uh-huh. that involves, you know, a special diet and a special set of supplements for three months. That one really cleans you out, though, because you do a, a preparatory phase that prepares the cells and enhances the cell membrane health for the cells to be able to detox efficiently. And then it does a body detox and then a brain detox after that. And that's important because if you just take a bunch of supplements that kind of clean out a lot of heavy metals in your brain and then you do a like a body phase, what happens is that metals and toxins can move from your body up into your brain and cause a lot of the issues people experience when they detox, like personality changes and headaches and migraines and brain fog and dementia. It can even cause permanent damage to the brain. So it's really important not to just like go take boatloads of cilantro and chlorella every morning and call it your detox yeah. and then do a brain phase after. So his is like a prep phase, a body phase and a brain phase. Okay. I also like, uh, there's this supplement called metal free, which is like a, it's an amino acid based chelating spray that just kind of surrounds metals and allows you to remove them via your stool. And, uh, that's, that's a little bit easier method. Um, technically it chelates the metals and so they pass out of the body uh, without crossing the blood-brain barrier, but it doesn't. They don't get deep into the cells. That detox doesn't get deep into the cells, uh, and so you know, I I recommend everybody do something like the true cellular detox at some point. But that metal-free stuff is it's it's pretty good at, at kind of cleaning up some of the basic issues. Okay. Do you have any recommendations in terms of analysis, like to test for heavy metals? Yeah, there's there's a heavy metal. Um, elimination test. It's called, I think it's a EDTA. I forget the name of it. I have a couple mm-hmm. podcasts on it. I interviewed Dr. Greg Mongian on it, but you, <laughs> it's like a, like a urinary evaluation yeah. of metals. That one's pretty good. Um, you can get a basic blood test. It'll show you lead and mercury. Like there's just a baseline blood panel from well panel from, from wellness FX, for example, mm-hmm. Thorne has a new heavy metals test that, I recently did, and it was super easy. Thorn has some sexy new tests. I think I might have that test over on my my Keon website, mm-hmm. which is my supplement company. I might have it listed over there. Um, I think I've got some of the Thorn tests over there. That's at getkeon.com. But if not, just do a search for Thorn heavy metal test. You might be able to find it. Okay, cool. Something else um, before I forget, I wanted to ask you because one interview – I got a kick out of that you did was with Dr. Gundry. 
Um, and I'm so curious for you to just say your opinion on if we should all be avoiding lectins. Well, no. Okay. I mean, lect- lectins are... I mean, that's, that's like asking me if we should just all avoid meat. Like, I know. Well, your idea of eating meat is to hide in a tree until a deer with the sharp sticks coming out of its head comes underneath the tree and then you put a knife in your mouth like a pirate and you jump down and you try and kill it and wrestle it to the ground and then just like sit there and, and eat it with a fork and a knife. Mm-hmm. That's a pretty stupid way to eat meat. It's a pretty stupid way to hunt. You're either going to get killed or poisoned or sick or something. In the same way, it's a pretty stupid way to eat wheat, which has a lot of leptins in it. If you're just going to walk in a, through a wheat field and like pick wheat stalks from the ground and chew on them, mm-hmm. you're going to get a stomach ache. You're going to get all of those lectins and those digestive assailants in the wheat that make it want to you know, pass through your digestive tract and get pooped out somewhere else so it can grow. It's like an evolutionary defense mechanism for wheat. Um, no, you take the wheat home and you mill it and grind it and then soak it and ferment it. Maybe you're going to do some sprouts and, you know, nice slow fermented sourdough bread or something like that. You're not going to take a quinoa and just eat a bunch of quinoa, which is covered in, you know, it's got lectins, it's got saponins, which are soap-like irritant. We go to South America and they rinse it over and over again. And then a lot of times they'll let it sit overnight and they'll use a vinegar or a lemon or an acidic medium and rinse it and soak it again. And a lot of times they'll use the water from rinsing the quinoa to wash clothes because it's got so many soap-like molecules in it. And then eventually that quinoa is rendered digestible, right? Mm-hmm. In the same way that if I if I shoot a deer, I'm, you know, right now I, I just went hunting, like I mentioned, I've got a bunch of meat that I hung last night in a dry aging fridge out in my garage and it'll hang there for two weeks and I'll clean it. And I'll trim the fat off and I'll marinate it and I'll soak the liver and raw milk for 24 hours. I'll do all these things to make that meat digestible and healthy. Well, it's the same thing with plants. We just don't think about that. You know, this idea plants can hurt you, right? Like, um, you eat a bunch of, you know, unsoaked quinoa or, you know, non fermented wheat and you're going to get gluten issues and saponin issues and lectin issues. But if you soak and you sprout and you ferment and you use a lot of ancestral cooking methods, you can, in most cases, render most of these plant-based compounds that assail the digestive tract relatively, um, uh, less harmful. And so that's the idea is you don't avoid lectins or you don't avoid all these plants that have lectins. You just learn how to freaking cook your food right? mm-hmm. and you learn how to, how to prepare your food properly. And when you do that, you're going to get far less issues. Excellent answer. Thanks for clearing that up. <laughs> um, you talked a little bit before about like fertility and something I wanted to ask you about is, well, a lot of women who are listening to this podcast right now are having fertility issues. A lot of people are struggling with amenorrhea or just really imbalanced hormones, um, struggling with their periods. And I mean, I know you're not a woman, but I know you're really smart. And I was wondering if you have any hacks f- to help with fertility. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> exercise more or exercise less, sorry, and eat more fat. That'd okay. be a big one. Okay. Uh, a big, big one. And I found that, especially in women, that tends to uh, almost immediately fix a lot of issues because you're giving the body what it needs for the proper amount of hormones while not stripping it of hormone precursors on, on the other side. So that's a, that's a big one, uh, would be eating more fat and having properly programmed exercise. Uh, in, 
addition to that, uh, avoidance of endocrine disruptors like personal care products, perfumes, colognes, you know, things that would be kind of chemical cocktails for the body. That's really important. Drinking water that doesn't have like pharmaceuticals and hormones, you know, the water that's been filtered really well. That's another really important one. What type uh, of filter stress. do you like? Well, it depends, you know, like it depends where you live and what kind of water you have. Like I, I get well water, so I don't uh-huh. have to use a fancy reverse osmosis because my water doesn't have a lot of like hormones and pharmaceuticals in it, but I've had to test it. It still has a lot of manganese in it, has a lot of iron in it. So it passes through a manganese filter, then an iron filter, and then what's called a structured water filter, which kind of makes the water from being dead back to alive after it's sat in cisterns and pipes and stuff like that. And so... So that's my water. For most people who live and drink from a municipal water supply, I recommend a reverse osmosis system. And the only issue with that is it just strips everything out of the water. So you'd want to get a reverse osmosis with remineralization or else you'd want to get a reverse osmosis but use a lot of salts or add trace liquid mineral drops back to your water, do things to remineralize it. Uh, I have a, an article over at bengreenfieldfitness.com called How to Detox Your Home. And in that article, I kind of take a deep dive into a lot of these home detox tips, you know, cleaning up chemicals, cleaning up your water. A lot of those uh, cause just as big an impact on your hormone levels as, say, just like eating more fat and giving your body a break from from daily hard exercise. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Do you, is, does it matter what type of fat? Twinkies, deep fried Twinkies. That's not what I mean. I think right now there's this hot – people are like on trying to like – pick a side between you know saturated fats like animal fats and plant fats and all this fear of endotoxemia is going around and yeah you think do you lean in one direction or the other or just more of a a balanced approach we do know that a high intake of sugars and carbohydrates in the presence of a high intake of fats can cause some amount of what's called lipopolysaccharide toxicity and Mm. You know, some of those issues you just alluded to. So being careful, you know, like when you're eating a steak and not to have like three glasses of wine and, and a huge amount of bread and sweet potatoes. Like sometimes I'll just have a steak and some rosemary and thyme and a little bit of salad on the side. Mm-hmm. Right. And that avoids a lot of the lipopolysaccharide issues or other issues that might arise from that big fatty cut of steak. Another example would be, um, you know, not doing like a smoothie with a whole bunch of coconut oil and fat and butter in it and then adding a bunch of fruits to it. Kind of yeah. being careful with it, with the sugar and fat combination. And then, um, you know, for, for me, I like to really focus a lot on the monounsaturated fats and the saturated fats and some of the polyunsaturated fats that you find processed or cooked or rancid. You know, this should go without saying, but canola oil, safflower oil, sunflower oil, um, a lot of things you see you know, in the package of the healthy food section at the grocery store on the trail mix that you thought was healthy, you know, those kind of things you got to be most careful with because that's what kind of comprises your cell membranes, right? That mm-hmm. your body's made up of the fats that you consume. So that's really important to be cognizant of, especially fats that are going to, I, well, let me put it this way. I think fats are more villainous than sugar when it comes to bad fats, right? Like mm. a lot of these processed, rancid, heavily cooked fats. And that's because your body can metabolize sugar, right? Like let's say I'm, I, somebody hands me a big old stick of cotton candy, right? And they're just like, you got to eat this cotton candy. Well, they give me that and then they also hand me, let's say, a basket of French fries, right? And they're like, you can do the cotton candy or you can do the French fries. 
Um, and I would choose the cotton candy 10 times out of 10. And the reason for that is because the French fries are covered in like a peanut oil or canola oil. And those are, that's what is going to make up my body and my cells for the next three months. Right. Mm -hmm. It, it, it makes up your cell membranes. You can't get rid of it. Kate Shanahan, Dr. Kate Shanahan has a great book called deep nutrition about this. Well, the cotton candy, I could eat that and I could just drop and do 30 burpees and make myself insulin sensitive and burn off that glucose and like kind of render my body somewhat unsusceptible to some of that damage. That's why, you know, consuming carbohydrates in the presence of exercise renders those carbohydrates a little bit more likely to be used as energy and not to spike your blood glucose or to, you know, get processed by the liver into triglycerides and stored as fats. But, you know, canola oil, vegetable oil, safflower oil, sunflower oil, heated fats, fats that haven't been treated properly or been exposed to a lot of light or like, you know, fish oil that's been left open and out in the light. All those are pretty dang bad for you because those can't just be burnt off you can't just eat those and say oh i'm gonna go to the gym right yeah they they, they literally pick up your cell membrane so those ones are pretty dangerous okay let's talk more about exercise um i know you have a very robust exercise routine but for the general population who's not training for you know an iron man or spartan um what do you think comprises like a solid exercise routine for optimal health, longevity, body composition. Yeah, I actually, I have a whole, uh, a whole, um, article about this called how to look good naked and live a long time. And in that article I go into and and, uh, you know, it's, it's kind of complex, but uh, in, in terms of the length of the article, but I'll give you the, the overview. Mm-hmm. And basically it, it's this, you want to, have each week sometime when you lift heavy stuff slowly. Uh, like uh, there's a book by Dr. Doug McGuff called Body by Science. That would be a perfect example of that. You have uh, every week you do something light and explosive like the New York Times 7-Minute Workout, which you could easily find by Googling or reading that article that I wrote. Uh, you have every week something that you do for mobility and movement, you know, like foam rolling and stretching, like dynamic stretching, arm swings, leg swings, foam rolling. I do that every morning for a little bit just to prep the body for the day. And then every week you do something for mitochondrial density, which is like short, hard efforts with long rest periods. Uh, every week you do something for VO2 max, which is like longer, more difficult, uh, four to six minute efforts. Every week you do something for your lactic acid tolerance, which would be like very short, hard efforts, kind of like those mitochondrial density efforts, but with, um, with shorter amounts of rest. And then every week you go out and you do something like kind of like fat fasted fat loss cardio, like some long hike on the weekend where you haven't had a lot of food before or, or during. So once you've kind of nailed each of those variables, you're, you're pretty, you could stay fit for the rest of your life. And, and we're talking like 20 to 30 minutes a day of exercise. And that's assuming that you're staying physically active. You know, like while I'm talking to you so far, I've walked like probably two and a half, three miles because I'm walking on a treadmill while you and I talk. And, you know, I'll throw in little kettlebell swings throughout the day, et cetera. So, you know, by the time the day has ended, exercise is kind of an option. And I'll just choose one of those elements that I just described to kind of put the icing on the cake. But Ultimately, it comes down to super slow ex- lifting, explosive lifting, something for the mitochondria, something for the lactic acid, something for the VO2 max, something for mobility, and some kind of stamina effort. And again, like I could spend hours kind of detailing all of that, but I just go read the article that I wrote called How to Look Good Naked and Live mm-hmm. a Long Time. So on my website, and that can kind of 
give you give you an idea of everything. So, yeah. Do you think that people need to lift really heavy to get the same benefits? Or I know you did a little experiment with body weight for a while, right? Body weight training. Yeah. Yeah. So the deal with body weight training uh, is that you can time under tension is what's most important. So I could do a set of five reps of the bench press, or I could do a set of 50 push-ups to complete failure, and you're going to get similar results if all you're looking for is muscle toning or muscle gain. When it comes to absolute strength or absolute power, having actual weights seems to trump just body weight. But then even with that, the, the other way around that is this idea of blood flow restriction training or katsu training. So a lot of times when I travel and I'm only doing body weight training, I have these little bands that I'll wrap around my legs or wrap around my arms. They're essentially glorified tourniquets. And by restricting blood flow, you build up a lot of lactic acid. You generate a lot of growth hormone after the workout. And your body feels as though it's on a – like my legs are sore right now because when I was in Kona, I was just doing body weight squats in the morning with these mm-hmm. blood flow restriction bands on. And I was doing like – you know, I'd do like 10 sets of 20 body weight squats. And my legs afterwards felt like I'd done five sets of five heavy barbell squats. So it's kind of interesting how you can you can uh, you can biohack it um, <laughs> these, with these tourniquets. So, uh, so yeah, that's 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 an example of you know body weight versus weightlifting. I, I like to do both. I, I mix it up. You know, when I travel, yeah. I do a ton of body weight and a lot of walking and some swimming and you know stuff that doesn't require me to go to a gym or find a lot of heavy weight. But then when I'm at home, I lift heavy weights. Mm-hmm. So I kind of that's how I do things because I know. Then when I travel, I'm not going to have a chance to lift heavy weights, but I can do something body weight in my hotel room. Then when I'm at home, I get all swollen strong. And then when I travel, I go back to the body weight stuff. Okay, cool. And I mean, so you just outlined sort of all the factors that we should include in a good exercise routine. How would you adjust that for somebody who's struggling with fertility? So, for example, I think the biggest issue is People who struggle with fertility who are exercise enthusiasts or gym junkies, they mm-hmm. just don't know how to get that dopamine fix that they are accustomed to getting from exercise by engaging in other activities. So they just exercise every day hard. Uh, but you can, for example, have two to three recovery days where you're just doing yoga or infrared sauna or uh, foam rolling or walking in the sunshine, doing things that still make you feel good, that still move the body, that aren't hard draining exercise sessions. And in addition to that, you can do things like learn a musical instrument or uh, learn to cook or pick up a hobby like watercolor painting. Do a lot of these other things that can cause a similar dopamine release as exercise and movement, but that you haven't yet discovered, you'd be surprised at what can, what can actually scratch that itch. And so you can have days where it's like, hey, I'm going to skip the gym and today's my painting day. Or today I'm not going to go to the CrossFit wad. I'm literally just going for a walk in the sunshine with some awesome music on. And I'm going to get back and I'm going to feel just as happy as I do when I leave that CrossFit box. And learning how to engage in those activities that allow the body to repair and recover and restore hormone balance and doing those like three days of the week with the hard workouts another three days of the week and maybe an easy recovery day where you go on a hike on another day of the week that's better than like six hard days of exercise Mm -hmm. also okay what about in terms of workout timing what do you think is optimal like do you recommend training fasted um or in the afternoon or what are the 
pros and cons of each. As far as workout timing goes, I am a fan of doing something very kind of like easy and stimulating for the parasympathetic rest and digest nervous system in the morning. I call this easing into the day because in the morning, your cortisol levels are kind of high anyways, and even higher if you've had a cup of coffee. And so, you know, I like a walk in the sunshine or some yoga or an easy swim or some movement that's more mobility based in the morning. And then when your body temperature peaks and your grip strength peaks and your post-workout protein synthesis peaks and your reaction time increases or decreases and a lot of the variables that allow you to do better with a hard workout when all those peak between about 4 and 7 p.m. later on in the day, mm -hmm. that's when you do the hard workout. And as long as you finish the hard workout within about three hours before bedtime, it's not going to interrupt the sleep patterns or anything like that. And um, that's a pretty good scenario. I like that scenario, like easy in the morning, harder in the evening. And then you throw in, you know, two to four recovery days where you're just taking care of the body and doing some of those things I just talked about. That's a pretty good scenario to kind of keep you active for life. And, you know, you also combine that, like I mentioned, with kind of low level physical activity throughout the day to uh, to kind of keep you in that hunter gatherer gardener Eskimo that your ancestors might have experienced. You know, and that's you know, like right now while I'm inside and I'm walking on the treadmill talking to you. You know, my wife's outside and she's taking care of the goats and the chickens and she's chopping wood and she's pushing a wheelbarrow around. She's kneeling down in the garden. She's composting. She's, you know, training some of the goats to pack around with pack goats. So she has a much different lifestyle than I do. But I'm essentially kind of simulating my own office, which she's doing outside while I'm working by walking on the treadmill and, you know, picking up the hex bar in between calls and doing a few kettlebell swings here and there. So. So, yeah, that's that's kind of how to set up the perfect the perfect scenario. Awesome. Okay, one one last quick thing I want to ask you is do you have any tips for I mean you like read and consume so much information and memorize so much of it and do you have any tips for like remembering everything that you come across? Well, you don't. You <laughs> you actually want to keep a clear head. You don't want to remember everything that you come across. You instead okay want to generate a system where you can record those items. So I really like Kindle because Kindle keeps track of all your highlights. Mm -hmm. And so you can just have those automatically saved without having to worry about them. I uh, use a pen whenever I read. So I underline, I fold over pages um, so that I can come back to and check out those pages later on. Um, and then I make sure I read with intent. I read as though I'm going to need to teach that information or you know, in my case, interview the podcast on the podcast, you know, the author who wrote the book. So sometimes reading is though you'd have to teach that to someone else. Or sometimes I will go, you know, I'll read a book and with my wife and kids at the dinner table, I'll explain to them the core concepts of the book that I read. And it really helps to drive a lot of those concepts home when you're teaching it to someone. Right. Yeah. So so read with intent. Read as though you're going to teach the information that you're reading. Um, read with a pen and fold over pages or when you're reading with a Kindle highlight and then the very end you know review those highlights that you've read and you know those are a few of those little things again i could talk for hours on yeah. reading and learning but yeah those are a few of the little ones awesome well thank you so much um everybody i know they can find you on your podcast do you have a favorite podcast that you recommend people start off with when they're listening to yours Oh, one of my, I was going to say, I like the Ted radio hour, but that's, Oh no, that's I mean like one of your own, someone's going to go to your podcast oh, and start with one of the, yeah, just like get, you, you can get to know who I am. I've got one, uh, 
Actually, this podcast is on my website, Keon, K-I-O-N, over at getkeon.com. But it's just my my COO interviewing me about me, my life, my history, you know, what I stand for, my dietary principles, my exercise principles. That'd be a pretty good one to kind of wrap your head around me and decide whether you want to listen to me drone on or whether you want to go find something better to do with your time because I'm a freak. But that would be a good one. Would be uh, you just go to getkeon.com and you know search for Ben podcast or you know I'm sure you could you could probably find it and yeah. embed it in the notes or whatever. Absolutely cool. So they can find you at bengreenfieldfitness.com at and then go to getkeon.com. Is there anywhere else that people should look for things? No. Yeah. I'm on Twitter. I'm on Instagram, Facebook, etc. But it's not rocket science to find me All right, on those awesome. platforms. So, yeah. <laughs> okay, well, I'll link everything in the notes. And thank you again so much for taking time to talk to me. This is You're so interesting. I love all the work that you do. So thank you for everything you put out. Awesome. Well, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. And, uh, yeah, if I can help anybody out, just keep me posted. And, uh, again, I'm honored, honored you thought of me. And uh, appreciate the interview. I hope you guys enjoyed that one with Ben Greenfield. I will have links in the show notes to everything we referenced. Again, you can find him at bengreenfieldfitness.com. Listen to his podcast. And you can also find a ton of his great articles written on his website, bengreenfieldfitness.com. All of his supplements and coaching information is on getkeon.com. And he's also on Instagram, Ben Greenfield Fitness. Like he said, you can find him on Twitter. He's on Snapchat. I hear he's I hear he's fun on Snapchat. I don't use Snapchat. Too many social media platforms for me. But yeah, you can find him all the places and check out his books as well. So he's a fun guy. Hope you guys enjoyed it. And if you did, I would really appreciate it if you gave the podcast a rating and a review on iTunes. And feel free to share this episode with people. That's really what helps out a lot is when you tell people about it. Spread the word. Spread the love. And we'll keep growing the community. And if you have questions that you want submitted to the podcast to be answered, send them into podcast at ChristinaRiceWellness.com. If you want to get in our Facebook group, go to Wellness Realness Podcast Tribe on Facebook and join. And that's also a great place to tell me what you want to hear from me. And I'll be doing another solo episode soon. So if you want to tell me what you want me to talk about, that's a good place as well. So that's all I have for you this week. I really hope you enjoyed it. Thanks again to Ben for coming on. It means so much to me. He's amazing. And I hope you guys learned a lot. I will talk to you again next week.